This episode of The Citadel Cafe is brought to you by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe to find out how you can become a patron and help make this show possible. This is the Citadel Cafe, episode number 388 for Wednesday, January 6th, 2021. My name is Joel Duggan, and the Citadel Cafe is where my friends and I hang out to talk about the geeky stuff that we are into. Joining me this week for his first week as a regular co-host on the Citadel Cafe, please welcome my friend, Stephen. You can find him at Stephen ESC on all the social media that matters and at Stephen ESC on Twitch as well. Welcome back, my friend. Hey, Joel. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I know. I've thoroughly enjoyed the handful of times I've been on the show already, so I'm uh, very excited and grateful for the opportunity to be a regular. Well, I'm excited too, man, because you and I uh, have been talking for a while, despite living down the road from one another, <laughs> uh, how hard it is. And even, not I mean, pandemic aside, just busy lives, you know, like your full-time work, you know, plus streaming, same here, plus you've got family. Like, it's just hard sometimes to find the time to catch up and hang out. And one of the things that I've realized over the course of 2020 was how much of the catch-up time that I was getting from the like little pre, little post call with my podcast friends. And so uh, I had a hole in the Citadel Cafe schedule and you now have an av- available Wednesday night. And I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> I know precisely what we can do here. And what I thought was so amusing about it is when you and I were texting about you coming on um, monthly on the Citadel Cafe is that... You were thinking it and I were thinking it at the same time. <laughs> I know. Without ever having mentioned it yet in the text chat. Like it was pretty, pretty funny because I was typing, hey, how would you feel about coming on that? And you're like, hmm, would you be open to me coming on onto the show? <laughs> and we both kind of hit enter at the same time. It's funny because when we were texting, one of the benefits we discussed was uh, of becoming a regular is that we don't always get the chance to chat. So, you know, we, we actually could use moments like this to catch up on, on each other's lives. So. And I also don't get a lot of a chance to, to, to talk about nerdy stuff with some of my immediate circles. You know, like if I do, you know, like if you're hanging out, I mean, again, not, not that this happens a lot, but when you're hanging out in mixed company, you can't always steer the conversation to like the nuances mm-hmm. of nerdy animation or, you know, the latest video game or the latest Minecraft thing that you're playing. Because if other people in the room don't play those games or don't watch those films and it's kind of a hard one-sided you know situation and you end up spiraling into nerddom and they're like looking at you like you got six heads and (laughs) it doesn't go very well and they just kind of go i could use a drink refresh and just walk away (laughs) noted yeah so with um with this being the first time that we've talked really uh since the holidays like what how were your how was your christmas did you guys do anything for new year's i don't remember um, well, I honestly had an amazing holiday break. It's, you know, we didn't do anything hugely significant. It's just, it's the first sort of Christmas break in what seems like forever that I had no obligations to anyone other than, you know, our small little family unit. And we just, we basically hung out the entire time and it was awesome. Loved it. I felt the same. Uh, I mentioned this on the render distance, the, pre-show for the spawn chunks the other podcast i do about minecraft and my phone was in my pocket like i brought it with i took a couple of photos but really mm. i even noticed on like boxing day 
and the 27th, I was like, oh crap, I should maybe message some friends and wish them Merry Christmas, which I didn't do. <laughs> like I just, I didn't message anybody if they weren't standing face to face with me. And my immediate family was basically in the room. The only person that couldn't join us for family dinner, or I shouldn't say person, the couple, my, my dad and his partner, um, because of just COVID restrictions, they weren't able to come and they could have, but the restrictions had changed. They were previously quite mm-hmm. strict at five and then they expanded to 10 total. But Phyllis um, had already made plans to host her sister and, and her partner. So there was four of them for Christmas dinner and she didn't really want to go back on those plans, which makes sense. Um, oh, yeah, of course. So, but I mean, like I still talked to dad on the phone Christmas day. I saw him Christmas Eve. Like, so it was just that one gathering around the table that we couldn't exceed the the eight or nine people. And uh, everybody that I would normally text was kind of in that room with the exception of friends. But then everybody else was doing the same thing. Everybody, like you're saying, had their tight little, I'm just going to shut things down. I've been on, like, I felt like I was on the internet a lot in 2020. And I was quite happy to have the phone in my pocket and not be on Instagram and not like worry about sharing that kind of stuff. I took some photos thinking like I would share them later. And now I'm just going to feel like a fool when I share photo of Christmas dinner, like two weeks later, being like, so this was what I had. I'm still thinking about it, <laughs> which is not untrue. <laughs> uh, the last of the turkey has been turned into soup. And I just, I, I had the last of it tonight and then put some rations in the freezer for some busy week when I don't want to cook. Really? That's a, that meal's got some longevity there. Yeah. I like, uh, so my, my sister does not like leftover turkey and she cannot stand the, the, the sight nor smell of having a turkey bird in her fridge uh mm. like that's not like after the day uh, of christmas dinner so it gets sent home with me in a bag uh christmas day when i leave the the house and um i just i turn it into soup you just you do the stock right away and if you you can either freeze the stock or you can keep the stock in the fridge for a couple of days so like if you don't want to make soup like immediately you kind of want to rest after christmas you can just you know make the stock put it in a pot and then you know make your soup whenever you see fit so i don't remember when i made soup i think it was mid last week something like that and so uh the soup has been in the in the fridge for four days and it's you know it's it's like eat it now or freeze it and that's what i did and uh, it made a lot actually i got probably two or three liters of soup out of it so can't complain oh nice yeah yeah yeah. i mean i do you guys do you guys do is it do you guys do like a tofurkey do you do a, a vegetarian meal i can't remember yeah we do do tofurkey it's um it's essentially like a tofu. Well, it is a tofurkey roast, so it looks like this little round ham almost, um, and it's got a pretty decent texture to it. If I'm, if, I'm not sure the best way to describe it, if you've never had it, it's if you've ever had a veggie dog or a veggie dog, I would say is like a a tougher texture hot dog kind of thing. Right. And then the tofurkey itself is probably a slightly firmer version of that, and it's it's spiced and it has um a rice stuffing on the inside of it and then you put this you create this prepare this glaze of sorts that you pour over it nice and roast it in the oven for over an hour so it's quite good and then and this year um since my, my wife's been having issues with gluten so this year she actually made her own from a recipe she found online and we all tried that and it was you know just going to be some tweaking of spices in that but that may actually become our new family favorite because if you can just make the one and feed everyone then Yay for less cooking. Yeah. So so her own tofurkey recipe? Yeah. It's not her own. She found it online. Oh, okay. But like, but from scratch, rather than buying it in the store because it has gluten in it from the store, you could make it without gluten at home. Exactly. And, and you know, even though it's a vegetarian version, 
there are always things added to make it look slightly roast like and and this was just sort of prepared in a in a bread pan and so it had the rectangle you know well the shape of a loaf essentially and <laughs> it's it's go <laughs> <a> figure <laughs> but it's just it sliced really easily and it tasted good it was just you know we, we would probably add some more spices to it some more herbs and just get the flavor a little bit stronger but it was surprisingly surprisingly all right I'm always on the fence with that kind of stuff because uh, I did my turkey soup from scratch. Like I didn't buy a package of spices. Like I, I, I have all the things. Like I have the sage. I have the thyme. I have you know all those things that I need. And I was worried it was going to be bland. The stock smelled and tasted great, but the soup. Once you start adding like you know carrots and potatoes and like a couple of root vegetables, it can get a little bit starchy, which is good because it makes for a nice thick soup. But it means that it right. also goes a little bit bland. Mm-hmm. And I was going to put in poultry seasoning, which is kind of my go-to because it's easy. Um, but when I smelled it, I was like, oh man, this is a lot of time. And there was already time in the stock and I've never done that before. And so I, I looked up what was in poultry seasoning. And it's really almost like 50-50 time and sage. And then there's like nutmeg and oregano and a couple, not oregano, nutmeg and majorum and stuff. And so... I went into it and I decided not to do any more time because I was like, I didn't want to overdo it. And so I added the sage and I'm not the biggest fan of sage. So I kind of went light on it and I was worried because when it was on the stove, it didn't really, it didn't really grab me. I didn't feel like, Ooh, it was really robust. Mm. So it did, it's, it's tasting better as time goes on. So with the leftovers from the fridge <laughs> are a little bit better. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that when stuff is like too hot, I can't taste test. Like I can't really gauge it. You know, I, I do the same thing with my Christmas pudding, you know. I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. Like I'm cooking the sauce of the Christmas pudding and there's butter and sugar and milk and brandy. And I'm trying to get it to taste a certain way, a certain way that I remember. And the, there's two problems. One is that the pudding sauce is never as hot as it is on the stove when you're eating mm-hmm. it, like a, as a dessert. It's warm. It's a warm dessert, but it's never that hot. Like it's not steaming. Uh, and secondly, I realized this this year in that the pudding sauce has a very different taste once it's on the pudding. Even if you just have a little spoonful of sauce, once it's engaged with the pudding, there's a lot of other things that happen. And so that is what I was remembering. And and so I now I have a pretty good idea if nothing else, the science behind it all of just like, I just go through the process <laughs> and trust the fact that if I repeat this recipe again, it will just turn out the same way. And, exactly. and so, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to that. Although I have a number of people now that are fans of the pudding this year, and I might have to start making two in order to distribute as, as gifts and stuff. Or find another occasion throughout the year to make it. Well, happy January 7th, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, my dad does the same thing, but he makes it early. He makes the pudding and freezes it. And then he makes the sauce closer to Christmas. And then he just Mm. delivers frozen pudding and fresh sauce to people. And he says like, you know, just just put the pudding in the fridge for a couple days and it'll be fine. So, so yeah, I may have to do that. Uh, because if I make it fresh, which is the way I like to do it, uh, and deliver it fresh, if something happens like this year, uh, the boxing day delivery day was, uh, rained out with freezing rain and dangerous driving conditions. And so it was late getting to everybody. And so I was really worried that it would not be as good. So um, freezing it, of course, solves that problem if that was the, if that was the case. Um, but uh, anyway, that, that was basically my, my holidays were basically food-oriented and, and cooking-oriented. It was great. I really enjoyed the time in the kitchen. 
Yeah, nothing uh, wrong with that. Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed the chill time. enjoyed the downtime. It was just really relaxing and it was nice to take a deep breath, if that makes any sense. Now, on the other hand, when you get into the tech and the nerdy side of the holidays, uh, obviously mm. Boxing Week sales are paramount. There's Steam sales for video games. There's uh, Epic Game Store sales. There's Boxing Week sales at your favorite tech store and Amazon and all that kind of stuff. And I bought nothing. And I'm having huge <laughs> regrets. And it's in part the television that I wanted to get did not go on sale. Uh, which is fine because right. I can't find an Xbox Series X anywhere. So it that's what I want the television for. It's specifically chosen to be better at video games. It's okay for multipurpose, but it's basically meant to be a really good TV for Xbox. And because it wasn't on sale, I thought, well, there's no rush to go out and get it. I don't need to rush out during the Boxing Week and with all the madness plus, you know, COVID. And just, just if you don't have to, don't go. And I thought, well, I'll get to the other stuff when I get to it. Mm -hmm. I did have some downtime to focus on streaming over the holidays. Uh, and I streamed almost every day. It was epic fun, very relaxing, yeah. just three or four hour sessions, you know, like not the whole day, just, you know, an afternoon here an evening there. And in that process, yeah. I basically forgot about the boxing week sales. <laughs> <laughs> and there were other things on my list, like a new kettle, uh, you know, the things that you don't want to pay full price for when you know darn well that you can pick them up for cheap. Uh, a mouse, yeah. one of my favorite mice that I have. I want to replace it because the, the scroll wheel is is broken. Uh, and the new one I have is amazing. And the new one went on sale again. I thought, sweet, 50% off. Didn't buy it. I'm, you know, I'll have to, I'll have to wait again until it goes on sale. Was it that you're looking to buy a second one as a backup or for your two computers? So I've got two computers. I've got the Mac and the PC. The PC's got a mm -hmm. good mouse. The Mac has the older version of that mouse with a gotcha. less than optimal scroll wheel design, which is now defunct. And that's a known issue with that particular model. It's also four years old. So it's not like I haven't gotten a lot of use out of it, but yeah, I thought yeah. the Mac mouse is not broken. So if I buy a new one, which I understand is a bit of a privilege to be able to do, then I'll have two working mice that work fantastically. And if either one of those ever die, I have a perfectly working mouse that just has a funky scroll wheel. It's not broken. Yeah. It's just a little funky. Backup. You know, backup. Exactly. Uh, again, smart business decisions if you're running a home business to pick up tech for the office during Boxing Week. And I regret mm -hmm. that I didn't do any of it. Like, and, I, and I had the cash to just pick up a couple of things that are good to have or things I've been wanting to do. Now, I did have my sights on a new microphone because right now I bounce the mic back and forth between the, the PC and the, and the Mac. Um, so it's a little bit of a, just a convenience and I just- Oh, looking rather... to buy a second, like a second of the same just so you could have- uh, Yeah, and there's a newer version. So- I'm not sure where I would put the newer version. I would probably put the newer version, I guess, on the streaming PC for no other reason than you can laugh at me if you want because it's black <laughs> and so is the PC. <laughs> and then the Mac is all white keyboards and shiny Chrome and the Yeti that I currently use is also shiny Chrome. So uh, um, I, I laugh, but I'm also laughing at myself because it sounds like something I would totally do. Mm -hmm. Even though the new Yeti would probably be better for podcasting, I, I, really, mm. do, I really don't know uh, what I would end up doing. Um, either way, I, I, I thought I would pick up an, a new Yeti and uh, they did not go on sale for what I saw. They never do. They just seem to always be the same price. So uh, I'll probably pick up that because that's something I'd like to add to the studio uh, at some well, point. Well, the benefit of something like that never going on sale is that you can pick it up whenever you need it and not go, all right, this one is not treating me as well as usual. 
do I wait an extra month and just cringe while I use this one in case it goes on sale? So if you know that it's going to be the same price all the time, you can just go pick it up whenever you need it. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it's it's a drag. It won't be cheaper, but mm-hmm. you won't have buyer's remorse three weeks later when it's on sale or something. Yeah. And there is one last ditch hope. Um, CES is next week, which is the Consumer mm. Electronics sh- uh, Showcase, I think is what it's called. Right. Uh, in 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 um, Vegas. And it's a week later this year. Normally it's this week, but it's next week. And um, I'm sure uh, that one of my favorite podcasts, uh, the Daily Tech News Show, um, DTNS for people that are in the know, but uh, dailytechnewsshow.com, great coverage of CES every year. It's basically how I catch up on what's going on. And there are some times where big consumer electronic events will have big announcements from big TV manufacturers or speaker manufacturers or a lot of these peripherals, you know, the, the, the Corsairs and the Razors and the, the Microsofts of the world. Right. Uh, and as a result, then sometimes stores will have the current version kind of go on sale or whatever to try and move stock, uh, making room for what will be like the new TV coming in the fall. Uh, well, I don't want to wait until the fall and I'd be more than happy if my current TV, the current version says, oh, there's a new version coming in September. We should knock the price down on this one. So there's a hope uh, <laughs> between CES and potentially the football, like the Super Bowl type stuff. I don't know what that kind of schedule is going to look like if it happens at all because um, I don't follow oh, are the there sports. S- are there sales typically around uh, TV sales? Yeah. For, for for big sporting events, there's always there's always a big TV sale. So shows you how into Super Bowl I am. Yeah, the sport ball. Yeah, me too. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of where I land with the one regret I have over the holidays was not taking advantage of those of those sales. But I did manage to get um, something I'm going to talk about a little bit later in the show on sale. So that'll, that's that's my one oh, nice. my one saving grace. Well, it's funny because like you, I was actually paying attention. Unlike you, I guess I was. You said you lost track of the sales. I was paying attention to them, trying to find things on sale because I. I wanted to get some equipment for the office, like some new headphones and new uh, an actual arm for my microphone and things like that. I was watching, but nothing I wanted went on sale. So it's not like things slipped by me. They just didn't happen. That's usually the case. You know, it's like watching a mm-hmm. kettle boil. You know, like when you want it to take, you know, five minutes, it takes 10. And then when you, you know, aren't paying attention, you go to do something else, you hear it boil and stop. You're like, oh, darn it. Like I meant to be, <laughs> like, yeah. it's now cold again or not cold, but like I have to boil it again because it's been 15 minutes and I didn't even pay attention. So yeah, exactly. I hear you. Well, to kick things off in the new year, uh, we have an email from a uh, frequent emailer. Lord Valor has written in with the subject of Marvel Comics. Hello, Joel and co-host. I've been catching up on the TCC. University started and life got busy, and I've been enjoying the podcast as always. Thanks for all you guys do. I have a question for you, your co-host, or your audience. I want to start reading the Marvel comics. I like how you put the Marvel in front of it. Um, But I don't know uh, of any website where you can rent them. I don't really want to own them because I don't really have a room to store them all. Is there an online platform where you can rent comics? Also, if I do begin reading comics, where should I start? There are tons of Marvel comics and I wouldn't know where to begin. Thanks for all that you do uh, and for your help with this subject. I will take my coffee to go, Lord Valor. Um, thanks for the great email, Lord Valor. I appreciate it. And thanks and, for the loaded questions. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other thing too is like we don't really talk a lot about comics on the show that much. Sometimes Brock and I get into it, but I know you've read um, probably more than I have at this point. Uh, and it's something that I have not done in a long time. But I will point you towards Marvel Unlimited. We'll have a link to the website in the show notes. And uh, there are over 28,000 comics. 
you can get access to them for $9.99 USD a month. There is a seven-day free trial, so if you want to kind of test the waters there. You can also cancel at any time. It's not a long-term commitment. However, if you do want to do uh, dive in for long-term commitment, the price goes down. So if you decide that you like it and you want to sign up for a year, you can actually do it for $5.75 US a month, which is a one-time mm. payment of, of $70. Bucks. So not the cheapest thing, but you know, like access to 28,000 comics is a lot. Um, as for where to start, this is a subject that I don't even know where to start <laughs> for your answer to pull a really strange parallel. Um, I really enjoyed Civil War, but that's been played out in the films already. So you might want to start with your favorite character, like say Spider-Man or Thor or something, and then kind of like figure out if there's a storyline or something famous, you know, like, you know, Google best Spider-Man arc or, or best, you know, um, unheard of, like not famous, you know, Thor arc, that kind of thing. The other thing that I noticed after a little bit of poking around on uh, Marvel.com, there are videos and character pages where you can kind of pop in and watch a short video on how Spider-Man got his powers. I mean, like you have to be living under a rock if you don't know this by this point, but like there are people that are new to this kind of thing, or you're looking at a new character that you've never heard of, you know, like for example, Scarlet Witch. I know who she is. I don't exactly know how she got her powers in the comics. I know how the movie did it, but that could be different. And so there are little films like that that you can kind of catch up on on characters, which might That's tickle cool. your fancy. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, kind of give you, give you a direction from there. But Stephen, I know you mentioned a Marvel comic series on the Holiday Roundtable that you liked. Yes, it was actually the Ms. Marvel series. It's funny for you to say that I may have read more comics than you, and I'm not sure if that's true or not, but I've, I'm actually sort of newer to comics, so I am by no means comic book savvy. I just sort of, I don't know why it took so long, but have a, a, a new appreciation for comic books. And so that was one time when uh, visiting chapters and saw Ms. Marvel just on the shelf there and just started flipping through it. Essentially, it's the origin story of Kamala Khan as Ms. Marvel. So there are, um, from what I understand, multiple iterations or storylines of Ms. Marvel. Uh, I believe the first three are all Caucasian women. And then Kamala Khan is actually uh, a young Pakistani woman. And she's actually the, she's, uh, she's actually the star of the upcoming Ms. Marvel series that's going to be on Disney Plus this year. So I thought I had read them all, but prepping for this episode, I did a bit of research and found out that they were actually more recent volumes. There was one of them that I read and there was a, uh, either the writers or the artists saying, oh, thank you so much for this opportunity. We're so glad that we were able to, you know, bring this story to life. We're so happy that this happened. And it sounded very much like a thank you for all of your support. The story's done now. But I, I, looking back, I think it was just that that story arc had finished and now there's, there are new artists. The art has changed in the newer ones, but I guess they just makes me realize there's more that I need to catch up on it. I'm perfectly okay with that. So and in terms of where to go get them, um, I've actually been getting most of the comic books that I read and or graphic novels that I read from our library. Um, and the library here in Halifax has an app, or they use an app called Libby, and you, it's it's meant for ebooks in general, but they've got a good selection of um graphic novels and comics that have been digitized for that as well. So that's that's been my go-to. So it's you know not as extensive as the actual Marvel archive, obviously, but it's a nice free resource. And then for myself, as I guess as a newer 
comic book fan, I've just started doing what Joel suggested and finding a character that in interests me at the moment and just starting there and going sort of all in on that character. It's funny, you know, I always forget about the digital capabilities that libraries have now. And mm -hmm. I, I could be doing more of that, especially now that I have uh, a pro tablet, like I've got an iPad pro, so it's big, it's high res. Yeah. It doesn't, it's not heavy. Like it doesn't, it's lighter than most books that size. Um, so outside of just more screen time, which is maybe my hang up, uh, mm. it, it wouldn't be hard to read more of that kind of thing. Especially like I was even looking at this Marvel Unlimited thing. Like I might even try the seven day free trial just to have a little bit more knowledge about it and to see if I like reading comics digitally. We used to talk about it an awful lot on comics coast to coast and some comics were made for digital in that there was consideration given to going from panel to panel. And when you'd swipe a finger, the speech balloons would appear like one at a time. And it gave mm. a, a bit more of a sense of suspense. Uh, there was a series of comics, and I don't remember the exact title of them, that came from Blizzard Entertainment leading up to one of the expansions to World of Warcraft. And followed i think magni bronzebeard uh which is one of the dwarves and his like crystal he became stone like he became part of the mountain and so it was like following his crystallization and then his daughter's ability to then talk to him through the rock and so there's all this like voiceover stuff and it's a lot of text but when you put it on the screen one blue at a time and ask the reader to engage by swiping a finger it becomes really interactive so I don't know if I'd be up for just reading scans of comic book pages. Uh, I do remember liking kind of panning around and not seeing the giant explosion at the bottom of a page until you got there. I, I kind of enjoyed that experience. Right. Um, well, so I guess it, not as interactively as you're saying with the one speech bubble at a, at a time, but one thing that I have enjoyed is that it's just one page at a time because there have been a couple of graphic novels that I physically opened and, you know, you start on the left-hand side and you can see this massive explosion out of the corner of your eye on right. the right-hand page. Mm -hmm. So you know that something's coming up and it's, you know, and unintentionally sometimes your eye just flickers over to it and you go, oh, well, then I guess I don't need to need read this spread. So as long as the writer and artist have planned it so that nothing's given away page to page, you don't have to worry about spoiler on across a spread. Yeah, and it's always nice when that kind of stuff is like a two-page spread. Like you have to flip the page and then kapow, mm -hmm. you know, like Superman punches the bad guy or like what, you know, whatever it is that's going to happen that's going to floor you is going to happen on that that next two-page spread as opposed to the the, the facing pages. Yeah, I've, I, yeah. I, I used to find that challenging when I was uh, laying out my comic books and stuff. You didn't want to like spoil the gag by having like the end of the joke series too soon. Like if especially it was visual. I would be conscious of that. Like if I did a series of six comics, because I would often do that, one, two, three, and four would be on the facing pages and then five, six would be on the flip so that you couldn't right. see, it wouldn't be three, four, five, six on the same pages because it, you know, unless if I could all at all help it uh, because it would kind of, if it was a visual thing, it would spoil the, spoil the gag. But mm -hmm. Moving on into what we have been watching, uh, I've been watching and playing uh, a couple of things, but I'll start with Detective Pikachu, which you're like, wait, what, Joel? You've never ever mentioned Pokemon. <laughs> and uh, you're right, I haven't. But I paid for Crave and HBO for a couple of months over the holidays uh, to get access to watch Star Trek Discovery and check out some of the older things on HBO that I needed to catch up on, like Westworld and stuff like that. 
and and there are some new series as well that I tried watching. Uh, but there's a bunch of other movies that were there. Uh, Detective Pikachu was something that I thought that looks interesting. Like it just, it's probably going to be a kids movie, but I like Ryan Reynolds, and mm. it looked like it was really well animated when I saw the trailer. And so I thought, you know what? S- screw it. I'm just going to test this and see what's going on. As an interesting experiment, because I know next to nothing about Pokemon, only what I know through pop culture and through friends that are into it. And even then, when they know that I'm not into it, they don't necessarily geek out about it because I can't keep up. So uh, I watched it on Crave here in Canada. Ryan Reynolds is Ryan Reynolds, which is good because if you like him, if you go in there, you know kind of what to expect. But there's something really interesting about Ryan Reynolds' voice coming out of Pikachu, which is this two-foot-tall yellow fuzz bucket of cute. And did they turn up the cute? Like there is a serious contest between Pikachu and Detective Pikachu and Baby Yoda. Like it is, they are adorable uh and it's very funny because you'll it's got that kind of like delivery of like ryan reynolds is kind of like firing off these one-liners talking about coffee and having to go to the bathroom and like there's all these things that he's saying when you're kind of leaving the room and he's like did he just say what i think he said and it's really entertaining in, in that way um have you seen it like is your household into pokemon um off and on i mean it's uh they we used to be into it big time especially when pokemon go came out we were that's that's ages it feels like ages ago at this point so the the boys are older and moved past that to a degree but it's uh yeah we when it we can, when it the f- trailer first came out it was enough to you know for the boy the age of the boys are give them that little bit of a nostalgia kick to go oh my goodness we need to see this and as you said i'm ryan reynolds makes me laugh just could read the ingredients off a package and it'd probably be in stitches so mm-hmm. i was i was pretty keen it was it was partially because know ryan reynolds this is going to be funny and partially wondering with worryment that ryan reynolds was going to voice pikachu like (laughs) this will either be really good or really awful but i feel like i need to see to make my own decision and they get to that and they explain that like right away and and it's it's done in a really clever sort of way it's part of the main plot in that there's this evil purple gas that the main character, uh, Tim, uh, played by Justice Smith, kind of stumbles upon in his, in his dad's detective office, uh, hence the name of the movie. And uh, it enables him to then understand Pokemon. So Pokemon just babble to anyone. You understand what they mean emotionally. You know, an angry babble versus a sad babble versus a happy babble. But mm-hmm. understanding what they're actually saying, no one has ever been able to do that. And then Pikachu to everybody else is sitting there going, Pika, 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 Pika. And the, to Tim, it's Ryan Reynolds saying like, hey, kid, like, do you want to go get a coffee? <laughs> like, it's, yeah, exactly. it's, it's really cool that they just opposed it that way. And uh, they explain it quite well. And it gives it a nice tweak in that now you have the added hilarity that he's talking to this Pokemon and everybody else around him think he's nuts. You know, it's like fast, you know, flashback to people walking around on Bluetooth headsets and you're like talking to themselves or talking on the phone. <laughs> we don't know uh, that kind of stuff. And I, I really enjoyed most of it. I want to say when I wrote it in the notes, I hadn't finished it and I actually finished it today. Um, I don't know whether it speaks to the film so much as it speaks to me and my habits lately. I have a hard time mm. sitting through films these days unless they're very good. Uh, and this one was one of those ones that was just, it was only so-so, but I also accepted it for being pretty good for a kid's film. Cause I mean, it is yeah. G or PG. Like it is not, you know, it's not a violent film. There's no swearing. Uh, even the, 
Pokemon battles are like knockouts or like cartoon fights. They're not violent, <laughs> violent. Um, I mean, I don't know. They put some serious weight behind like Charizard and some of these Pokemon are big. Like they're bigger than people in some cases. And so there's real risk of like things falling down and, and hurting people. But it's that cartoon family movie idea of like, you know, the heroes always jump out of the way at the last minute before the rafter comes crashing down or geez, there's one part in the film. I mean, bit of a spoiler, but you know, at this point it's from 2019. <laughs> if you were going to watch it, you probably already have. And they've mutated. I can't remember the name of the Pokemon. So forgive me, but it's basically a giant tortoise that has land on its back. And They've turned them into literal mountains. They are the size of buildings and they start to move around while these main characters are running across the back of them. And it is like an earthquake scene from a disaster film. But of course, everybody is absolutely fine and have done, they don't even have a scratch on them. <laughs> you know, they're maybe a little bit dirty, but that's it. Um, despite the fact of like sliding down mountainsides and being, you know, hitting a tree on your way down is like, okay, well that guy just broke his ribs, but we're not going to talk yeah. about that. Like that kind of stuff is all <laughs> kind of like tongue in cheek. Um, the, the part where it lost me, um, Justice Smith did a really good job. I thought given the material, uh, he's a good actor, uh, yeah. fun, fun film playing younger than he probably is in real life, I would guess. Uh, but then Catherine Newton who played Lucy, Lucy got better as the film went on, but the first act or two with Lucy was just like after school special. I, it was ham fisted and cartoony and cringy. And I was just like, Oh I hope we have to, don't have to deal with this too much. Um, it was like she had it in her head what a plucky reporter was supposed to be like. And it was like this version of Lois Lane from the 50s. And he was like, no, this doesn't fly mm -hmm. in, a, in a modern film. So uh, that was kind of hard to swallow. Um, but everything else, like the immersion and the animation, like they do a really good job. You don't really question whether or not the Pokemon are there. Like you really kind of get sucked in in that way. And that I think is what won me over and why I finished it is that I was just... Curious as to how they're going to do it. I knew nothing about like Mewtwo and, and Psyduck and like all these different characters. I just like, I don't understand the in-jokes. I don't understand like the the potential of like, holy crap, it's Mewtwo. I, I got that from the cinematography. It's like, okay, this giant pull-out shot of this floating cat sort of thing. Obviously <laughs> a big deal. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming like, and, I, and I, I fell for it. Like I assumed bad guy when the way, the way that they filmed it. And it's a, it's a, it's a mislead. Uh, I thought it was like Pokemon's version of Darth Vader, essentially. Um, but it, it, it turned out to be something different in the end. The film lost me in the third act. So did you did you guys see the whole thing all the way through? We did, yeah. Yeah. So would you would you be on board with me saying like the third act was just a hot mess? Um, It's honestly been a while since we saw it. We, we probably saw it as soon as it came out for rent. Right. So um, to, to sum it up, and this is a bit of a spoiler, there's a parade in downtown. I can't remember the name of the city, the Pokemon right, city. Right. And all the balloons are filled with this evil purple gas. Flashback to Batman in <laughs> 1989. Joker, yeah. I was like, I've seen this film before. Right up to the last moment of Tim hanging off the edge of a building, just like the Joker did. Like, I mean, it, the roles were reversed. Like the good guy was hanging, not the bad guy, but like it was the same. <laughs> uh, I noticed That's it right funny. away. Um, but then like the mind transfer of the reveal of the bad guy. Also, spoiler, Bill Nye is a bad guy in almost everything he's in. So it was not really a stretch <laughs> to, to, to be like, oh, yeah, he's the bad guy. Um, but then 
what I didn't understand, and this and this is where your knowledge of Pokemon might be able to trump mine. Um, he transfers his consciousness into Mewtwo, but his body stayed right where it was in a wheelchair. Uh, but then he uses the gas to transfer everybody else's consciousness into the Pokemon. But they went into the Pokemon physically. The whole body was vaporized and turned and put into the Pokemon. It wasn't like there was a bunch oh, of really? people laying on the ground. No, because at the end of the movie, surprise, when the good guys win and all the Pokemon and the people separate again, you can see the people kind of like as a ball of light come out of the Pokemon and then materialize on the sidewalk. It's like, wait a minute, you broke the rules. I thought it was a consciousness switch, mm. not a not a physical change. But I don't know. This is where I'm like, well, it could be like a Mewtwo thing. Maybe that's a power that this most powerful Pokemon has. Mewtwo has this feeling to me of being like the, we need a Pokemon to do something that no other Pokemon can do. We'll just write that into Mewtwo's powers because everybody will just accept that as like the most powerful thing ever. Uh, it seemed kind of like a scapegoat in that way, but... Um, my my Pokemon knowledge definitely does not trump yours, so I'm okay. not I'm not sure why that would have been, why it would have been that way, for Bill Nye, but not the others. Yeah, but I mean, in the the very end with the reveal, but the whole thing with, with Tim's father and stuff like that. Yeah, that didn't make any sense to me. That's more well, I guess it did to me in the sense that that would be more in line with, um, the Pokemon, like the the, not just the consciousness transferring over. Right. But what I don't understand so, is that Bill's father did die and the body was sacrificed so that his consciousness could live on. So then how the heck did this, the physical form show up? Because I don't, I didn't understand because Ryan Reynolds physically makes an appearance in the film. He plays Tim's dad mm-hmm. at the end of it. He plays apparently Harry and they talk I, they did not explain it well enough to know whether Tim just knows that this is the spirit of his dad melded with the spirit of a Pokemon or if that is actually what his physical dad looked like. Because I could have sworn there was a picture of his physical dad and it was not Ryan Reynolds. And and so I'm just a little bit confused as to what Mewtwo's powers actually are and what the rules are for the Pokemon human, you know, combo thing. Um, because if that was the case, wouldn't, Tim had recognized his father's voice coming out of Pikachu immediately. I, like I said, there's a bunch of stuff that didn't really line up. It broke the film for hmm. me, but I don't think it would necessarily break it for all the people that went to go see it because they're giant Pokemon fans, right? There was, there was even moments that I thought were pretty funny uh, with Pikachu and Tim having a, a slight falling out because of a misunderstanding. And so Pikachu was on the road feeling sorry for himself. And he's singing the Pika- the the Pokemon theme song, but sad <laughs> and slow. But it's all the same lyrics from the like the 90s TV show. Like I I lost it. I thought, okay, okay, that, that isn't that's a nice nod. <laughs> like the only way that you're gonna get this in there is to have this like sad Ryan Reynolds version. Like it it was pretty pretty spot on. I enjoyed stuff like that. So it's not a zero for me. Like it, I think a lot of the detraction comes from just not knowing the Pokemon and it's a family film. Like if I was taking my kids to go see it, I would probably have a bigger, uh, net of acceptance than just watching it here on my own, you know? And it's funny. I was just about to say something similar because where you're watching it as an, an adult on your own, you're going to be going at it with a more, critical eye when 
you know, my, my sons are getting older, so they do get more critical about some things or that if something just is out of left field and doesn't make any sense, then we get that sort of across the room or across the couch look going, uh, what was that? But um, for, for me, I actually didn't, you made some good points that I didn't pick up on with the, in terms of, you know, Ryan Reynolds voice. If that is his father, why didn't he recognize the voice earlier? Or why didn't he at least give the impression that he recognized the voice earlier? Because if he did, he didn't say anything. Yeah. So it's a little bit tricky in that way, but, yeah. but, but in terms of like character arcs, emotional payoff like they still hit all those notes it's just the yeah. it's the plot details that get you there that kind of the stitching kind of comes apart at the seams and it's tight right up until that point like there's a point where lucy and tim go to a pokemon testing facility and everything right up until the departure from there is spot on it's only the return to the city for the climax where the the stitching just comes unraveled a bit um, well for me a lot, but mm. you know, but up until then, like I was like, okay, like I just, I had made the mental note of like the next time I have some time, I really do need to finish it, especially cause I wanted to talk about it tonight. And, and so, um, for, for folks that are, you know, that have access to it, if it's part of your streaming service already, I mean, give it a watch, especially if you have kids or if you're into Pokemon, Pokemon go, if you know the names and you know the powers, then you'll get a lot of the, the jokes, right? Like, um, I can't remember the name of the mime character, but that was also very funny. Yeah, and I mean, it's also, um, we, we found it very cool to see all of these characters rendered, mm -hmm. quote-unquote, realistically. Yeah, uh, It's pretty funny to see an angry Jigglypuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was just like, shows up there, I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that's fantastic. And then, um, I'm surprised you didn't mention it yet, but Mime, I might be messing up the name, It may, I think it is just Mime, or the miming Pokemon that was just gesturing everything it was trying to say as opposed to actually speaking it. Mm -hmm. um, that kind of killed me. We we were all laughing pretty hard at that just because it was a... We saw a chunk of it in the trailer, so that part didn't make us laugh while we watched the film, but there was some extra stuff on top of it that was pretty fantastic. Uh, Mr. Mime is the name of the... Mr. The Mime, I, I apologize. Yeah, I knew there was something else to it as well. It's like, it's not quite there. I'm not quite sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to everybody, but it, like, it's not a terrible film. Like it could no, have been way worse, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, insert most other films about video games and you'll, <laughs> you know, you'll probably have a decent, uh, a decent time with this one. Um, yeah. so that's one of the major things that I've been watching. What have you been watching in the last little while? Um, sort of talked about it on the holiday special as one that was coming or it had come out already, but we hadn't seen it yet. It's uh, wolf walkers on Apple TV. Oh, nice. Yeah, so it's uh, written and produced by Tom Moore, who also wrote and produced... I don't know, actually don't know if he produced, but he wrote The Secret of Kells and Song of the Sea, which are two other family... Or two other films that, uh, that our family just adore. They're quite good. And they're just... The drawing style, um, and the animation, it's just... It's so different from everything else so we were we were keen to see this before we really knew what it was about as soon as we saw the, as soon as we saw the drawing style we all kind of went <gasps> and then we we knew it was going to be like the secret of cows and we weren't wrong it's the same same basically uh showrunners for that so i mean that that movie in a nutshell it's the story resolve revolves around a young english girl named robin who aspires to be a hunter like her father and they sort of um they've had a journey from england to Kilkenny Island to help exterminate wolves in a nearby forest. Um, 
And then, of course, that all changes when uh, her father just wants her to stay home and safe while he goes out and hunts, but she wants to prove herself. So she, of course, goes against her father's wishes <laughs> to stay home and stay safe, prove herself, uh, where she sort of stumbles across uh, an orange wolf, a young orange wolf, which may or may not have something to do with the title. <laughs> it's given that it's called Wolf Walkers, and even in the trailer for it, it sort of gives away the fact that it's um, it's not like straight up werewolf, but it is. You know, there's some uh, lore lore along those lines, but it's 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 fantastic. Um, so the things that I love are just so unusual, like. I guess some things are typical. You know, you've got your good guys and your bad guys in movies. Then, you know, colors and lighting will definitely give visual cues as to the good good team and the bad team, even if they haven't come right out and said, you know, bad person alert. Yeah, well, and especially in animation because they're trying to do like a color script for the whole film. And Yeah, exactly. But then right off the bat, this starts off showing nature and um there's you know there's a squirrel jumping along and it's very fluid motion the trees are curvy and soft lines everything looks like it's watercolored and it's just it's a very nice setup and then and then it sort of cuts to lumberjacks cutting down trees and the axes are hard edge drawings hmm. and and very angular not your you know, axes are fairly angular anyway, but it's not like there's no curve to it or, you know, ergonomic handle or anything like that. Everything is very, very angular, very rigid feeling. And so when these things are actually cutting into the tree, it's just, it's a nice little juxtaposition. And then there's also um, the way that they, they do color as well is very, very great. So the the nature is very soft greens and things like that, where everything to do with the people in the town are, as I said, harsh lines, but sort of muted grays and uninspiring colors. They, they just, it, it, sh- it, it looks like a lifestyle that you don't want compared to, compared to the nature. I love the way it looks. Oh the, my goodness. The art direction and the background painting and like, even just to, to, to kind of bring it into something that people might be, might remember the way that the jungle book looked it was one of the first films if not the first film i'm forgetting my disney trivia now but Mm. um where instead of doing um inked cleanup they used xerox machines to uh, turn the pencil cleanup into black line for the cell animation and as a result you got this kind of hairy look like you can kind of see the pencils and stuff and they decided to keep it because it gave it didn't remove the illusion that it was a drawing you still had life but you still immediately knew throughout the entire film the jungle book that these are drawings that you're watching move across the screen and and um wolf walkers has that kind of like i'm not sure what you want to call it it's like that sketchy outline where it's not a solid black line you can certainly exactly. see the thing i'd imagine it was probably harder to recreate because of course if, i'm assuming they're probably animating it digitally which means that you kind of have to make it look messy as opposed to it just being messy by your lack of technology you know potentially i mean it's it had me wondering because there there are certain points where it has the um some of the animals in the opening scene um had the structure lines 
flicker in and out kind of thing. Like they they left those in, and, and especially with characters that seem to be more in in the the nature realm as opposed to the the human realm. There was it was a lot of flowiness, and the structure lines would appear now and again, and sometimes they'd stay for a while, and sometimes they disappear. I found really really interesting. So I, I, if they did that intentionally, then good on them. It looked really cool. I, I was I was a huge fan of it. Um, and they also did things like, I guess when I was saying the the nature looked like a watercolor, and by comparison, the town looked like a woodcut print. So like the the lines were very harsh, and they they looked like they were sort of chiseled away in parts, and the coloring didn't align properly. It was almost like there was this misregistration that happened, and like just different thing, different techniques and things like that to to very much define a visual difference between the two. Uh, which which I loved, and it was more of like an illustration style than a typical. Ill- it's almost felt like an animated illustration as opposed to your t- your typical animation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean when you think about animated films these days, you're usually thinking about Disney or Pixar, or DreamWorks, yeah. uh, which is all CG. And if you're thinking 2D or traditional classical animation, you're generally looking at something that looks a little bit more like Flash or Toon Boom or things like Cartoon Network, Family Guy, yeah. Simpsons. Um, Things like, uh, I'm drawing a blank right now, but like, you know, Gravity Falls, um, Rick and Morty, like they're still fun and well done, but they have a very flat aesthetic to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's mostly because of economy. Like it means that you don't have to redraw the hand a hundred times over when you're animating it. You usually have a puppet. It's more like a puppet than it is, than it is like a, an actual drawing. Although I, I, I used to work in animation. Don't email. <laughs> I understand that there's still a lot of drawing that goes on in cell animation. Like one of my best friends is, is a, you know, <laughs> Peyton used to be on the show. He, he's an animator still working in the industry. I know how much work is involved, but it's mm-hmm. changed even over the course of the, the 10 or 15 years that, you know, I've known Peyton and we started off like drawing, you know, a lot of it was still drawn on paper and then moved into flash or, you know, that kind of a thing. And, and it's, it's now, different but like you still have some artistry that you know not some still a lot of artistry that goes into it but you're saving time in different ways but films like this especially feature films and it's not the first from the studio so then they usually would have the budget to hopefully do what they want artistically which i always find is is really appealing and i'm looking at like stills just on um google right now and the different colors like there's i'm looking at one looks like a face-off between a wolf and a guy and a sword and everything is blue and spiky and it's mm-hmm. it's very dramatic compared to all of the other greens and oranges and and nothing is um nothing is really saturated like everything is kind of like a brown or a mute or an earth tone like there's not a lot yeah. of like rainbow yellows or or pumpkin oranges why well, I say pumpkin oranges is the wrong word but like there's no neons like there's no primary exactly it's, it's not it's not going to sell kids toys no exactly <laughs> that's a good way to put it I usually say it's like a a slightly burnt version of yeah primary color mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and one of the things that i also found super interesting visually is it doesn't it doesn't do visual planes normally and i'm not sure if i'm explaining that right but you know in in the kitchen one of the uh the dining room of the father and daughter's house their kitchen table is there but instead of it, it's a side-on situation but instead of showing the table side on it shows the legs side on but then the top of it is almost like up and over to the right 45 degrees or something like that in an oblique view so you can actually see what's on top of it even though there's no way physically it would look that that way in real life and so they do things like that as well where um 
when you're up in the forest and you can see the town in the background, it's not the town over the horizon. It's literally an aerial view of the town that has been flipped up to become the backdrop. So it, it's, it replaces the sky. You're looking down on the town kind of thing. So it's, they do some really interesting things with how various planes are showed. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's quite good. I, and it's, I don't want to give it away if anybody watches, but one of my sons sort of basically said, you know, that, that town is there, um, but not, it's not shown the same way all the time, which sort of ties in with how the storyline is going. So it's uh, just cool little things like that. And, and I actually, I meant to go back and check and it was either there's a, an Easter egg in it when uh, the young Wolfwalker girl was going through Robin's backpack. And I, I, I meant to check. It was either uh, uh, one of the things coming out of the backpack was a tie back to the secret of Kells or the song of the sea. And I can't remember, but it was oh, nice. as soon as, as soon as they pulled it out, I went, <gasps> and then it was just like discarded. <laughs> and I went, Oh, that was just a cool little teeny tiny tie-in it was pretty cool yeah they do stuff like that i feel like one of the toys on the shelf in monsters inc was like one of the toys mm-hmm. from toy story you know like there's a buzz light you're on on boo's shelf or something silly um yep. that kind right. of stuff is always or, or maybe it was like a, she had a bo peep lamp like i can't remember what it was but they do that kind of stuff all the time because they own the property like why not exactly you th- throw it in there right um that's really cool i'm i'm really curious to see it because i i i'm i like when they do stuff like that when they take creative liberties for storytelling purposes with um, visual things that would normally be tied to perspective and world building. And like this thing here has to look like it's over there, but instead with a a classically animated piece like this, you can just give the impression of it. Like you just have to get the information to the viewer. It doesn't necessarily have to be technically accurate. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love stuff like that. It's one of the things that I really enjoyed about um, inside out in that it's still very much, a CG movie from Pixar, but the way that they animated the emotions in the, in the girl's head was very different compared to all of the regular world physics. So it got very, it got a lot more expressive artistically, which I thought was really cool. A lot of squish and stretch like you would in 2d animation. Yeah. And they'd still do squash and stretch in, in Pixar films, but it has to be within the realm of the model. You can't just take a kid's face and stretch it out like a rubber band unless there's reason to do so. Whereas right. the, the, the four emotions like sadness and anger and all that kind of stuff, they could do whatever they want with them because it just, they have that kind of flexibility. It was the same thing with, um, Coco, uh, not quite as, um, stretch and squashy, but like removing limbs and like, cause everybody's a walking skeleton because it's right. the land of, it's the land of the dead or the, I can't remember the exactly what they call it. The afterlife essentially. Uh, and, and they were, um, they were able to do things and express them way themselves in ways that were really odd and funny and just kind of showed the creative freedom of that, that realm, right? Because it wasn't an earthly plane. It was something entirely different. So I'm looking forward to seeing it because I mean, just these screenshots alone are beautiful. And plus obviously, you yeah. know, trust your judgment we've been friends for a long time and we tend to like the same kind of stuff <laughs> yeah no it's if 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 you liked the artwork and the storyline and like i said the uh the secret of cows and or the the song of the sea um yeah you won't be disappointed it's it's very much in line with those well speaking of 2d art and uh animation i have spent a great deal of time over the holidays uh even just in the last week or two um, playing oxygen not included which is from clay.com. I think that's how you pronounce it anyway. Uh, K-L-E-I.com. Uh, and they are a Canadian 
game studio in Vancouver, BC. And I was pleasantly surprised to find out that they were Canadian uh, because Oxygen Not Included has become one of my favorite games uh, in a long time. Uh, it is a survival simulator with a lot of personality. Uh, in the space colony simulation, you'll find that the scarcities of oxygen, warmth, sustenance, and constant threats to your colony survival guide colonists through the perils of subterranean asteroid living and watch as their population grows until they're not simply surviving, but thriving. And your job is to help them do things. You have to tell them what to do. Dig here, build this, that kind of a thing. I can't even describe how quickly I got sucked into this game. It's it's <laughs> just, uh, to, to put it out there right away, as a cartoonist, it is the kind of game I would have wanted to work on. Like I would have killed mm. to work on this kind of game. Um, Jeff Agala uh, is, I believe, the lead artist on, on the show and I think one of the lead artists at uh, Clay. And he used to work at Atomic Cartoons. So Atomic Betty, uh, like, th like those kind of things are just amazingly designed and and have such a great aesthetic to them and this has got that sketchy feel to it that um that wolf walkers does when you look at the art it's not like mm -hmm. fine sure. line finished you know um it's chunky it's weird it's angular nothing is a straight line uh as far as the design of certain buildings go uh everything has got a little bit of a quirk to it and basically that just goes along with the lines with the personalities of these randomly generated duplicates that you get. So the way that it works is that you're supposed to be starting a colony on an asteroid, but uh, unfortunately you have spawned in, in the asteroid. So you've got to deal with gases and, and minions and beasts and oxygen leaks and all this kind of stuff. And you start off with, I think three duplicates. And the idea is that you have to tell them to dig, to get minerals so that you can build things. And they need stuff. They need food. They need uh, washrooms because if they don't, they pee themselves everywhere. It's it's <laughs> rather amusing. And then they get embarrassed and then they're sad because they got wet feet because they're standing in pee. Like it just, and they, they don't really do a lot of like poop jokes or anything like that. It's not vulgar, but just the little animations of like, when a character needs to pee, they're animating and running around like they need to pee and they can't focus on what you told them to do. And uh, I did not build an outhouse fast enough and one of my um, duplicates had an accident. And when I say accident, I mean like they filled most of my base with pee. <laughs> <laughs> and in doing so, had the best look of relief on their face. Like they didn't necessarily care that they were peeing on the floor. They were just happy that they were peeing. And... It sounds silly, but like it, it, that kind of touch is just hilarious. Like when they go to the outhouse, when you finally build them an outhouse, it's like a, a barn door. It's like a, a, a saloon door. So you can still see them. They're just covering themselves from the waist down when they're on the toilet. And then they have this look of relief, like, oh yes, <laughs> you know, when they're going to the bathroom Jeez. and then they get up and they flush and they open up the doors and they kind of like wash their hands and you have to install wash stations so they don't travel germs everywhere. Like it is a deep game, like everything to the Jeez. point now where like I'm having to deal with oxygen, hydrogen, electricity in terms of kilovolts and like uh, different wattage for different wires. I've got uh, mines, I've got sleeping conditions you have to maintain duplicate uh morale which means that they have to be happy and sleeping in a quiet space and like it is ridiculous the amount of kind of like easy to pick up hard to master that this game has woven into mm. it really really enjoying it uh and one of the things that makes me feel even better about supporting the the uh development team 
is that on the about page of clay.com, you'll read uh, or see a human angle video. It's only about seven minutes. And it's the CEO and artists and other people at, at the studio talking about the crunch time that you hear about in a lot of gaming studios, you know, 70, 80 hour work weeks for weeks on end, trying to make deadlines, trying to make publishing stuff. And at Clay, they don't do that. Uh, they, they just wanted to go out there and basically make a great game, but not make it at the cost of family downtime, you know, mm. employer That's great. employment health. Yeah, exactly. And it's hard to do when you're a small studio. Uh, so they, they've learned lessons, you know, but they, they've moved on from them and they've made some really good games of some people that might be more familiar with things like Shank, Don't Starve, Don't Starve Together, uh, Griftlands. Um, I know for sure that Oxygen Not Included and I believe Don't Starve are both Mac and PC. Um, Oxygen Not Included retails for $27.99 on Steam. I got it for $13.99 because I got it on 50% off or 40% off on, on the... Um, the Steam sale over the holidays. The one thing I managed to buy was a, was a <laughs> video game. Um, but it's fine because I've been streaming it over on twitch.tv slash Joel Duggan. So if you want to see from the very beginning that that first VOD is still up there, I'm on cycle 115, I think, which is like how many times your asteroid has turned around, how many day-night cycles you've got. Mm. Um, they only last about 10 minutes, maybe 15. So I'm really not that far in. Um, but it's one of those things where... You just always have something to do. You have always have something to plan. There's a research tree and it goes all the way from like really cool practical stuff, like having a hydrogen power generator, which is great because generating power before that, you have to get your duplicates to run on what is essentially a hamster wheel to generate power. <laughs> like it's hilarious, man. Uh, I really think that you'd enjoy it. Uh, I, I, it's, it's one of those things that you should keep on your short list the next time it goes on sale. Um, right, I know you don't have a lot of time for video games, but like it's, it's a, it's a good time. And that's the thing I find is that it's a puzzle game and it's hard and you pay the price sometimes, but the, the levity and the design is just so worth it. Like it, it, I like these kind of games anyway, but even when you get frustrated, you're just like, okay, well, granted, I didn't necessarily want that character to, to be stressed out. But the way that they run around when they're stressed out is hilarious. They have like this giant frowny emoji face on them and their arms are up in the air like noodles. And it doesn't matter what they do. If they're going to the bathroom, <laughs> if they're going to eat between point A and point B, they're basically running around like Grover, like, Rah! you know, it's, it's just. I was just about, just about to say they're going full Muppet. Yeah, full Muppet. No, that's exactly what it is. And honestly, that's kind of like the humor behind it. It's very dry. It's very Muppety. And uh, has that, that going on for it. And uh, like stress vomiting. That's a thing. And it is exactly <laughs> what you think it is. And it looks just like you would expect a 1950s Warner Brothers cartoon to be if someone was stress vomiting. Like it is rough, <laughs> uh, but a good time. And so if, if that's something that appeals to you, uh, check it out at Steam. If you want to um, watch me play it, check it out on, on twitch.tv slash Joel Duggan. And I'm having a good time with it. It's a very chill experience because it's not, it's something you can pause at any time. And so you can kind of like weigh your decisions and make a plan and then unpause and kind of see what happens. So it's a pretty chill stream. There's not, there's no, I haven't encountered any bad guys coming to get us. It's mm -hmm. mostly the environment. That's the enemy. So there's no zombies and, you know, skeletons like there is in Minecraft, but I've, I've really been enjoying it. So uh, nice. check it out. Yeah. At uh, oxygen, not included on uh, at clay.com or on steam. It is absolutely everywhere. You'll be uh, not hard to find it. Not to mention, um, 
I, they just released the DLC spaced out in December 2020. So it's still got a lot of um, love. Like it's not just, you know, an old game that's been sitting around for a while. It's, uh, it's definitely getting some updates as well. Moving on into the Internet Minute, which is, of course, brought to you by you, dear listener. The Citadel Cafe is 100% listener supported. If you're getting value out of the show, please consider putting a little bit of value back into it. You can do that by becoming a member at patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. Joining at any level will get you an invite to the member-only Discord server. There are multiple levels with different rewards like Discord roles and even access to bonus audio when that's getting recorded. Patron count is up to 22. We've added one. Uh, I always like to add a patron a month if we can. So uh, currently looking for patron number 23 if you'd like to join. Uh, Again, patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. Now, I'm working behind the scenes on some long-term Patreon goals for the Citadel Cafe in 2020. Uh, Don't quote me on these. These are just ideas. But the kind of things that I would like to do if we can uh, figure it out is have more frequent roundtables with more than one guest. Uh, I received quite a bit of feedback over the holidays about how much people like it when there's more than one person on uh, the podcast with me. Uh, I had a blast with those roundtables. I really Mm. am quite proud of them. So if uh, that's something that you like, uh, then check out the Patreon. We might be able to to loop more of those together. Uh, I'd also like to schedule more regular bonus audio. It's something that we used to do a lot more when people had a little bit more time, but I'd like to try and get back to that. So that might be a future Patreon goal. Uh, Of course, though, I need to kind of cover the production costs first. Uh, so uh, if you're if you're listening to the show, if you like it, if you think you are comfortable with uh, the base pa- Patreon support, which is a dollar a show, then check out patreon.com slash the Silo Cafe. I will be eternally grateful. And you get to join the Discord and hang out with all of us in between podcasts and talk about all the same stuff <laughs> just in text format. So I don't have a pick this week, but you, sir, have come prepared. What is yours? The one I want to give a shout out to is a little app called Quick Draft Simple Scratch Pad. Uh, by GiddyApp uh, over at giddyapp.io. It's free and there's a pro version and it exists on iOS and Mac OS. And I guess I should say technically iPad OS as well. It's essentially a single pane notepad. There's not multiple pages. You can't add new notes or anything like that. It's just where you dump a thought and you can leave and come back and the text is all still there. Um, if you, if you're on the bus and you go, oh, right, I need to remember this later. And you just want to start to get some rough notes down. You don't have to open an app, create a new document, filter it where you want to go and then start typing. It's just, it's just a place to dump your thoughts. And so if you do it on the bus, um, on your phone and you come back home and you click on the little menu bar app on your Mac, then all of that content is just there. It's securely synced through iCloud. So it's just, it's it's amazing, actually. One of my favorite things about it, I, I use it all the time for, um, I guess, lately, primarily when I want to, uh, I'm trying to plan a tweet, a pre-stream tweet of what I want to say, because it has a character counter at the bottom as well. So you just sort of just type out a thought. Um, if I'm downstairs just drinking a tea, I pick up my phone, I do it. Um, or if then I'm on a 15-minute break from work um, and I'm on my computer, then I just tap on the icon on the top and just continue on it kind of thing. So it's it allows me to prepare notes for social media posts without actually having to go into those dedicated social media applications and saving a draft or something like that. It's just, I love it. And it's, uh, like I said, it's free. And then there's a, there's a pro tier that it gives you certain, I think it's hookback or HTML hookback functionality, I think it's called. But um, I've not noticed any need for it whatsoever. Um, 
I mean, I still bought the pro version because I've been using it so much and I wanted to support the developer, but it's just, it's the free version. Um, it'll probably serve 95% of the people out there. It's pretty fantastic. I like the lack of new notes because I run into that with like the notepad app, which is what I use yeah. my notepad app for is like quickly writing down a recipe or some, some things I need to do at the computer where I can type a lot faster than on my little phone. And then when I'm at the grocery store or whatever, and I'm, I'm, meal prepping, I could say, oh yes, right. The recipe is on my notes and it's there. You know, like you don't have to worry yeah. about it. Uh, Christmas shopping, same, same idea. Like, I mean, I have a grocery app for food, but like for Christmas gifts and stuff, I just use notepad because it's easy. Um, and you can include link links to websites so you can remember what the packaging looks like, that kind of thing. Um, but this sounds really cool. Now the question I have, like, are you typing on it or are you like writing a note like you would with a, a stylus? Oh, typing. Okay. Yeah, and you can give, you can give it a uh, a hotkey. So basically, I've got it on a Mac. I've got it set up to be Control Q. It pops down. I just start typing if I've got a thought, and then I go on to another. As you go to another app, it just disappears because it's a menu bar app, oh. and it's just it's always available. It, there's no startup or anything like that. You just tap the icon essentially on your phone. Nice, and it's ready to go. Yeah, really, like literally like what I have next to me, which is like a small notebook from the dollar store that I think is like, do this later. Remind me to talk to Cosmic about this on Monday or like all that kind of stuff. I could yeah. put that into this app. That's very cool. Like even the notes for this um, this evening's show is basically I was went to grab groceries and we do pickup. And while I was waiting for the pickup, I was typing a couple of extra little things, came home, opened up the, the app on my computer, copy and pasted it into the Google Docs. And it's just like done. Nice. Love it. Yeah, it's it's so bare bones and functionality which makes it fantastic <laughs> yeah no that's i i do find that there's a strength in design uh and you and mm -hmm. i have obviously both know this from being designers but like it just there's a strength in application design or game design when you're very limited and when you boil it down to like this thing just does this one thing and we do it very very well if you want more there are other apps for that go do that elsewhere but if you want just this then we can handle that and I, I like the simplicity of that. You know, uh, I find that paralysis of choice is something that yeah. I experience a lot of times when I go to the menu bar of most apps that I have to use. And it's like, oh, geez, what, like, do I even know how to use this? Like, you know, I mean, how many times in Photoshop do I go in there? Like, I use four tools in Photoshop. <laughs> like, <laughs> I do not use most of what that program can do. Um, but I need it for a lot of what I do do. You know, it just, it's one of those things that just, it's, it's always a bewilderment to me as to how overkill and bloated software can be, websites can be, mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. So I tend to try and, I'm pretty much a minimalist in most of what I do. So having access to something like this would be, would be great. Well, that wraps up this episode of The Citadel Cafe. You can get more info about the show and links to some of the things that Stephen and I talked about at thecitadelcafe.com. Music for the show was composed by Kevin McLeod. You can email us just like Lord Valor at thecitadelcafe at gmail.com or find us by name on Twitter. Subscribe for free on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, and Spotify. YouTube as well. Really, wherever you find a podcast, you can usually find The Citadel Cafe. Word of mouth is the easiest way to support the show. Just tell a friend about The Citadel Cafe and where they can go to listen to it. And if you want to, you can even leave a review on the Apple Podcasts app or platform of your choice. That kind of thing helps us get into the ear holes of strangers, which is what we want. 
My name is Joel Duggan. You can find everything I am up to online, including my illustration and design portfolio at joelduggan.com. You can listen to the Spawn Chunks at thespawnchunks.com. That's my podcast with Pixel Riffs all about Minecraft. And you can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media. Today, I will point you towards twitch.tv slash Joel Duggan, where I've obviously been playing a lot of Oxygen Not Included, but also building a giant medieval town in Minecraft. And it has gotten away from me. It's been a lot of fun. Um, Steven, I know that you have been streaming a lot and we didn't really touch on that too much at the top of the show. So like, where can people find you online? Like, what have you been doing on Twitch these days? Primarily Minecraft stuff. It's, uh, <laughs> I am in the process of building a giant oak tree in Somerville. So, um, it's, it's a bit of a tedious process, but I, I really enjoy it right now. I'm just planning, roughly planning out all of the branches and how that's going to spread out. And then I'm going to go in and then finesse those branches so just sort of thicken them up where they attach to the trunk and then add stairs to turn corners subtly and use trap doors to make it so that it's not necessarily you know not necessarily a huge jump from one block to an, another so right now it's all oak blocks oak wood blocks so the, the bark on all sides it's just you're roughed out so some of those are going to come down and be replaced by stairs so spruce stairs because they're pretty close in color and then like i said i'm going to use trap doors and other things but Essentially, the goal is to is to make this this tree branch structure as organic as possible, and then uh, once it's done, then it's going to be sort of leaf fill in in a way that I guess respects the branch structure, as opposed to just going here's a bunch of leaves and there are branches throughout. It's actually going to be the goal is to build it as quote unquote realistically as possible, as realistic as you can get with a a blocky game like Minecraft. But it's a uh, Tedious isn't the word I want to use. It's a it's a slow process, but it's it's almost like a it feels like a sculptor or something like that. It's just putting together very methodically. That's the word. It's very yeah. Methodic. It's something that I really enjoy about. I mean, everything that you do because we talk a lot about art and design off mic as well. But like, just mm -hmm. you always have a lot of thought behind everything that you're creating, whether it's work related or fun related or Minecraft related. And and I, I I approach Minecraft the same way, which I think one of the reasons why we get along so well. But um, yeah. that's awesome. Like I've I've walked by and I've seen the process of it going from a stump, and I mean it looked like a stump <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> to to what it is now currently in its in its process. You know, partway through, and it's it's really cool. I did not expect it to take the shape that it has right now. So like I'm very excited to see where that goes. So if people want to tune in, where can they go? Twitch.tv/slash/stevenesc, and that's Steven with a ph, e s c. Dude, thanks so much for being here. I am excited to have you on board as part of the Citadel Cafe going forward, man. My absolute pleasure. You've been listening to the Citadel Cafe where we are fast, easy, and cheap, but you can only pick two. Just don't pick Pikachu.